We're going to be picking up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16 tonight. Our plan is really only to do three verses, verses 16, 17, and 18, very short passage, uh, but there's a, there's a lot in this, a very actually a very famous passage as well. So Paul moves, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, he moves from this discussion uh, about interpersonal relationships because we talked about how to treat other people in the church and 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 uh, that sort of thing. And now he moves into more about a spiritual relationship with God between here and the the final conclusion of First Thessalonians. And he gives us in this passage that we're looking at tonight a number of imperatives that are stated in present tense, calling for continuous action. And that, that's important because he doesn't just say do this once or you should do this sometime in the future. He says this is what you should be doing now and what you should continue to do until Jesus returns. So the, these are not habits that the Christian is to practice occasionally. These are identifying characteristics that mark a Christian's life. And I would actually describe them like this. I would say that they're standing orders for God's army. Now, if you, if you don't know what that is, standing orders are just orders that are retained irrespective of changing conditions. In other words, uh, it, it's an order that's been given by someone in authority to a soldier, to someone that, that they are to do a certain thing. And, and they're to do that no matter what happens, no matter how, what the circumstances may be. You do that until you receive different orders, until the orders change. And so that's what a standing order is. And I think that's what, what, what we have here. Paul gives us standing orders to, to live by regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And the first of them are found in, in verses 16 through 18 in, in, in three verses and, and only seven Greek words. That's all we're going to look at tonight. Seven Greek words. And we're not reading it in Greek. Don't worry about that. But in these three verses, Paul exhorts the Thessalonians how to keep their focus on God. So let's read verses 16 through 18, and then we'll just break this down. This is where we're going to spend our time tonight. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want to read it again. There's, there's, it's so short, so succinct, but it is so powerful. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we're going to just break down those, those three different uh, imperatives there. And we'll start with the first one where he says, be joyful always. Paul counseled this persecuted church to rejoice always. And I think that's in, in, in important for us to realize that he's telling them to be joyful all the time, to, to rejoice always. But he's speaking to a group of people that are suffering through constant persecution. Now that's, that's significant because that tells us a lot of things about joy. We're going to get into it tonight. Uh, you know, for, for many Christians, the command to be joyful always is really a perplexing idea. You know, given life's hurts and pains and sorrows, one may legitimately question how in the world a person could possibly always rejoice. But Paul had learned some things over his lifetime. He had learned the secret of being joyful, even in the middle of great trials and suffering. Listen to some of these things. Acts 16, 25. This is a verse right after Paul and Silas have been beaten in Philippi and, and uh, they've been thrown into prison. They're, 
they're in, in stocks, their hands and feet are, 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 are fastened down with stocks. And it says in Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. It's amazing that in the midst of that kind of intense personal suffering, Paul had enough joy in his life to say, hey, hey, Silas, let's let's sing. Let's let's sing some praise songs. Let's sing some hymns. Let's worship our God together. Romans 5, 3, Paul again wrote this. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. So he goes on, there's a list of things there, but he says, hey, you know, even when I'm suffering, I'm rejoicing in that because I know there's a purpose in it, that it's producing something in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10. Rather, as servants of God, we command ourselves or excuse me, commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, in the right hand, and in the left, through glory and honor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. So powerful. Second Corinthians twelve ten. Paul again writing, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in, in difficulty. He didn't just say, I endure those things. He said, I delight in those things. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. For Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. So, to understand this and to understand what Paul is talking about, we have to start by understanding what joy is. Because we get it confused a lot of times in our culture. The first thing we need to understand is that joy is not the same as happiness. And, and that's really hard for us because in our language and in our culture, they're very closely related in our minds. But joy is not the same as happiness. We're told to be joyful even in the midst of suffering. But you know what? Please do not ask me to be happy when I smash my, smash my finger with a hammer. Right? Don't ask me to be happy when bad things happen to me or when even more so when bad things happen to people that I love. Don't ask me to be happy when I lose someone that I love to death. Don't ask me when, to be happy when horrible atrocities are committed like on September 11th or what happened in Israel on October 7th. Happiness is not an appropriate response to any of those kind of things. It is inappropriate. Well, while we may not be happy during those troublesome times, though, we can still be joyful. And part of the reason there's a difference is that happiness is based on circumstances. In fact, the, the root of the English word happiness is happenings. And, and so that tells us that happiness is based on the happenings that take place around us. It, 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 something good happens and that makes you happy. A lot of us 
experience that Christmas day. You know, you open a present, it's a good thing, it makes you happy, and you have that happiness there. We feel happiness because of favorable circumstances. So our happiness is very much based on our circumstances. But joy has nothing to do with circumstances. It's obvious, some of the things we just read about Paul. You know, he says, I, I delight in persecutions. I have joy in these situations. Well, obviously, it's not because of the circumstances. There must be something deeper that goes beyond the circumstances that brings this sense of joy. True joy transcends the rolling waves of circumstances. Joy comes from a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. When, when believers' lives uh, are, are intertwined with Christ, uh, He will help walk us through adversity and will walk through that adversity without sinking to the debilitating lows that many much of the world suffers through and the flip side of that is he'll also manage help us to manage prosperity without moving to deceptive highs the the joy of living with jesus christ daily will keep believers rejoicing all the time in spite of circumstances here's one way i read this and i thought this is so powerful here's one way to think about it joy is not something we work on to try to have in our lives Joy is not something we work on. Joy is something we live in. Do you see that? The, the difference there? And we're not talking about, you know, this fake joy that denies the reality of pain and suffering in life. Paul never, in the midst of his joy, never said, oh, no, this is not painful. This doesn't hurt. I actually like having stripes on my back and being beaten and thrown into prison. I enjoy this. This is wonderful. He didn't pretend that. It was painful. It was hard. It was hurtful. It, 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 so this is not some Pollyanna-ish. Everybody remember, you may remember the movie that Pollyanna, the old Disney movie, the little girl that just tried to, you know, it didn't matter what happened. She just pretended that nothing was wrong. And, uh, you know, and it has this positive outlook. And, and that's not what we're talking about. Uh, believers are not required to try to conjure up, you know, and work up joy inside of them. Uh, for, for, for the, the, the ability to rejoice in the midst of any circumstance is actually a gift that's given to you. So it's not something that you do. It's something that is given to you in which you live. We're able to experience constant joy because of the presence of God's Spirit in us. In fact, what does it say in Galatians 5, and 23? We know these as what? Anybody remember? Fruit of the Spirit says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one? Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So it is, it is a gift as part of the fruit of the Spirit, which means that as we grow and become more like Christ, we're going to be, have more and more joy in our life. And it's going to be something that He does in us that we, and we live in that. Believers can rejoice uh, also because of their sure salvation and their future hope. Nothing that happens on this earth can even begin to compare with the glory that awaits God's people. And, I, and I'm saying that that's true even of the best things in life. You know, the, the best things in life cannot compare with the glory that's going to be ours, as we, that's awaiting us as we walk into the presence of Jesus. But at the same time, the worst things in life cannot throw shade on that. It's still... It's still wonderful and it's still a sure thing and a future hope that we have. Joy is tied to reality, not merely the appearances of what we see around us. 
in, in Jesus, we're able to distinguish between appearances and reality. I, I read a story uh, written by a, a man named Gary Demarest. He's, a, he's an author and a commentator. But he told a story about receiving a phone call in the middle of the night from a family in the church where he pastored. And the, the family on, in this phone call informed him that their son had just been killed in an autom automobile accident. And, and now to this family at three o'clock in the morning, the appearances were very bleak. It, it feels like the end of the world in a way. And if you've ever lost someone, especially someone young, unexpectedly, you understand that. I mean, here it is, the loss of the son, the shattering of the family, the grief, the remorse. And, and you know, it was not a time to call for happiness. It would be, it would be so foolish for, for the, that pastor to say, Hey, it's okay. Just be happy. I mean, the family would probably kick him out of the house. And rightfully so. But you know what? As the months went by, what happened is reality transcended appearances. Because that young man was a follower of Christ. So you have the appearance of him being gone and death and I'm never going to see him again. But that's not the reality. The reality was that he was alive in Christ. He was there with him. And, and the reality of life eternal in Jesus became central in their minds and their hearts in the coming weeks and months after that. The reality of God's love and presence through their grief became more than just a slogan. It became, they became a reality to them. Now, now the events were very real, but the ultimate reality beyond this life is Jesus himself. Joy comes from being in Christ. And when we are in Christ, then we know that no matter what happens, no matter what happens to me or people I love around me, that in the end, I still get Jesus. And that's the joy of it. That's what sustains us in the middle of our pain. We're not denying the pain. We're not saying, oh, it doesn't hurt, or I'm just going to pretend that it doesn't matter. No, it hurts deeply. The sorrow is real in those moments like that. But at the same time, in the midst of my sorrow, I can hang on to the reality of knowing that this is not always going to be like this. I will not always hurt the same way. I will not always have the, suffer this sense of loss. And in the end, I will be with Jesus. I get him. That's it. And it, 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 it becomes a source of strength in our lives because we know that when all is said and done, we will be with God. And it's this perspective on life that enables us to rejoice always, even when we're unhappy, unhappy, we can still rejoice. Our relationship with Jesus and the hope of our eternity with him gives us joy no matter what may happen in this life. The second thing he said, so he said, he said, be joyful always. But then he said, pray continuously. Pray continuously. Now that command has to me a twofold meaning. The first one is, that we should literally pray without stopping. Now, that command and that interpretation would be impossible with the uh, common misunder—excuse me—the common understanding of what prayer really is. Because here in America, especially, we we tend to think of prayer. You know, you're supposed to close your eyes. You're supposed to bow your heads. Maybe you should be on your knees, and you know, you should get in your prayer closet. Well, if if you're gonna, you know, pray continuously. You, you can't do that. You can't stay in your closet with your eyes closed and on your knees 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
And, and listen, all those things are good. All those things are, are wonderful, but they're not requirements for real prayer because then it would be impossible to pray without ceasing. Paul did not expect believers to spend all their time on their knees or, or spend all their entire life with their eyes closed praying. In fact, it was the opposite because he was quite adamant that everyone had work to do. So he said, hey, you're supposed to be working. You're supposed to be doing more, something for the kingdom. And, and so he's not talking about shutting yourself up in a place and saying, oh, I'm, I'm just going to pray the rest of my life. Clearly, Paul must be referring to something more than just saying prayers. J.B. Lightfoot said this, It is not in the moving of the lips, but in the elevation of the heart to God that the essence of prayer consists. In other words, when I lift my heart to God, whether I'm speaking the words out loud or not, I am praying. How many of you know you can pray prayers in your heart, in your mind, without ever actually saying a word with your lips? Uh, what Paul is really saying here, I believe, and the only way this can become a reality, to pray without ceasing, to pray continuously, is that we should be in a prayerful attitude at all times. Now, this, this means that we have to change the way we fundamentally think about prayer uh, but, but, but this is an attitude that is built on acknowledging our dependence on God, realizing His presence within, and determining to obey Him fully. We're, 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 what we're really talking about here is making sure that we keep the lines of communication open all the time. Always listening for God's voice. Always aware of His presence. That, that's what we're talking about here because Prayer, first of all, you know, we would break it down and we'd say, okay, prayer is communication with God. I think everybody here would agree with that. But, but here's the thing about communication. Communication, it, it always requires at least two elements. One person that is communicating or speaking, but another person who's listening. Because if, if there's, you know, if you just have the one, if you, somebody's speaking, if there is nobody out here and I was just speaking to an empty room, I would not be communicating because there's nobody to communicate with. And if I'm here and you're not listening, I'm still not communicating just by talking. Uh, and so here's the thing. When we pray and we speak to God, there is communication going on there because he is listening. But here's the other side of it. Many, many times... God will speak to us. And the flip side is true. We need to be listening. And we need to be uh, aware that he speaks. And so now what this means for us is that for us to become aware of his presence and always be listening to his voice, it means that there are certain, we need to have certain disciplines of prayer, daily periods of intentional prayer, reflection and, and meditation. All those things are essential to establish a climate of unceasing prayer for the rest of the day. And it also requires a practice of daily scripture reading, uh, you know, maybe beginning each day with some statement from scripture to, to reflect on consciously through, throughout the day. Uh, because it is in prayer and it is in the word of God that we learn to recognize the voice of God. And th both of those things are important because in prayer we learn to recognize that nudging of the Holy Spirit, that when that thought comes in, that we know, oh, okay, 
You know, I recognize that. That, that was, that's every time God has spoke to me, it's been like that. I know that's his voice. But the flip side of it, of that is also that getting into the word, we know that God never contradicts himself and that he speaks through his word. He has communicated through his word. And so between the two of those, you begin to, you know, for example, say this thought comes to your mind, you think, is that God? Well, if it's something that is completely out of line with scripture, because you've been in the scripture, you know automatically that's not God. But then that when that voice comes and all of a sudden the thought comes to your mind of a verse that confirms what that voice just said, all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is God speaking to. This is how you learn to recognize his voice by, by prayer and being in the prayer and, and being in the word uh, and, and, and that unceasing prayer. I mean, it's just, it's just simple. We understand this. You know, if... Uh, I've used this illustration before, but you know, if somebody that I don't know calls me on the telephone, at least back in the days before caller ID, I could answer the phone and they'd say, Hey Dave, how are you doing? And I'd be like, maybe it's somebody I hadn't talked to in 20 years. Hey Dave, how are you doing? I'd be like, I'm doing good. Uh, who is this? Cause I, I'm not constantly listening to their voice, but you know something? Back in the days before caller ID, sometimes my uh, I'd, the phone would ring in the office and I'd pick it up and I'd say, hello, or whatever, you know, first assembly, this is Dave. Or, and all of a sudden, you hear this voice out of the line and she just says, hey. I'm like, oh, hey, Julie. And with a single word, I, or, I know instantly because I have been in her presence and I recognize her voice. It's the same thing with God. This is why prayer and being in the Word is so important for learning to recognize His voice. Now, even with that, you know, God is not here physically. You know, we don't see Him. We don't see His lips moving when He's speaking, so to speak. And so I want to say this, that there are going to be times when you'll make a mistake. But it's better, I feel like it's better to make a mistake trying to be obedient to the voice of God. And then if you're wrong, go to Him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, than it is to sit back and resist His voice because then it becomes harder to hear it in the long run. But uh, it, it, it means, this unceasing prayer means that we learn to practice the presence of God in everything we do. So here, here's what we, we know God is always with us. He's, we're always in His presence. We're always experiencing His presence. But we have to, what we have to learn to do is be intentional about remembering that. This is practicing the presence of God. We cultivate an awareness of God's presence in our lives, uh, along with an awareness that He wants to be involved in every part of our being. And here's the thing, as we cultivate that awareness of His presence, then what happens is we, we begin to be able to hear His voice above, above all the noise and the distractions of life. We're able to zero in on it. We hear that. I heard a great illustration about this years and years ago. We were at a, 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 I think it was a junior high youth camp, and the speaker that week was a guy named Brad Baker. Brad Baker uh, was actually from the Kansas City area, and he was in, he was a few years ahead of me, but he was in Bible college the same time I was in Bible college. But he is a, he's a very, very funny guy, excellent speaker, excellent communicator. For a long time, he was a youth pastor for Tommy Barnett. You know, it tells you what a quality... If you know anything about Tommy Barnett, you know that Brad Baker was a quality uh, young man to do that. But 
But here's the thing about Brad. He, he was a great man, but he was maybe this tall. Short little guy. And, and that's, that's the only reason I mention that is because uh, Brad's dad was about like here. He was this great big, like at least six foot four, great big guy. He was a preacher. He was a presbyter in the Kansas City area in the, one of the sections there. And, and uh, huge man, big booming voice. And he, when he was in high school, he was a big football player. You know, he knew all this. And, and, and Brad's older brother was also big and tall and athletic. And he was this big football star in high school. And then here's Brad. Well, here's the thing, you know, Brad enjoyed sports, but you know, the football team just doesn't, is not really often looking for guys that are like five, 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 six, and probably not even that. He's probably a little shorter than that even. They're not looking for small guys. And, and there's just not a lot of sports for small people, but there is one. Anybody guess what it might be? So, go ahead, say. No, no, sport. sport? There's one sport, wrestling. Because in wrestling, they break you down into weight classes. And so, and so he was going to be wrestling against guys his own size. And so he got into wrestling. And his dad was excited that he was getting into the sport and his dad wanted to support him. So he would go to every one of his wrestling matches. But here's the thing about Brad Baker's dad. Brad Baker's father knew nothing about wrestling. All he knew was what he saw on TV with the WWF, you know, and, and this is before WWF. It was back with the local guys with, you know, and, and so he, all he knew was those things. So Brad tells about how he'd go to these wrestling matches and he always knew his dad was there. And the reason he knew his dad was there, he had this coach that was always, he was just loud and he was just, he, he just, He's like just always cussing at him. He was like yeah, yelling at him. He saw his coaches on the edge of the mat yelling at him and do this and do that and all this. And then they had their wrestling cheerleaders there and they're in the background with their pom poms going, pin him, Brad, pin him, pin him, Brad, pin him. You know, and they're all this, all this noise is going on. But then with all of this going on and the coach there, you know, looking at him and getting angry with him and the wrestling co uh, cheerleaders yelling and, and the crowd, you know, shouting all these things at these different matches that are going on. All of a sudden in the background, he could hear his dad's voice booming out, put him in a full Nelson, <laughs> put him in a full Nelson. Well, that's an illegal move. He couldn't do that, but he didn't know that. That's so, he just knew the, he didn't even know what a full Nelson was. He just knew that's, that's something he could yell. And so he could hear with all the other noise going on around everything else that was happening. He knew his dad was there and he could hear his dad's voice through all the rest of the noise. And that's what it's like. Because our, our world is crazy. Your life is crazy. I don't even have to know what your life is like. I just know that's what life is like. I, I know that life is crazy, that, that, that there's all kinds of things that are calling for your attention. There's tons of things that you need to get done every day. There's, there's problems that are crying out to you. There, there, there are things happening in the background that are yelling at you and saying, trying to get your attention and telling you what you should do. And all these things going on, but in the midst of it all, if you'll just perk your ears up, you'll hear the father's voice. I don't think he's going to be saying, put him into full Nelson, but your father is going to be speaking to you. And what happens is you'll learn to hear his voice 
through all the noise, through all the chatter, through all of the circumstances. And it's a powerful moment when we hear his voice. So now here's the second thing. The second meaning of that phrase, pray continually, is also not just that we should always pray and never stop ceasing, but it also that we should pray with persistence. We should pray with patience, waiting and watching expectantly for God to act. Jesus told a parable to help us understand this. Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples to, a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor, nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see what they see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The last part is just a reminder. Are we going to hang on? Are we going to have faith enough to keep praying? A Christian's perspective or a persistence in prayer is an expression of faith that God answers prayer. You know, if anybody ever tells you, well, you prayed for it once, and if you ever pray for it again, then that's a lack of faith. They don't understand faith at all. It's the exact opposite. The reason I keep praying is because I believe he's listening. The reason I don't give up and I keep praying for something is because I know he's going to hear me and I know he's going to move. And so my continuous prayer is an actual expression of my faith. In his book, Circle Maker, Mark Batterson wrote this. God has determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. Simply put, God won't do it, <clears throat> do it unless you pray for it. We have not because we ask not. That's right out of James. And the, the greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. If we truly expect that God will answer our prayers, then we'd better learn to pray with such tenacity and persistence that we allow nothing to hinder us from bringing even our boldest, boldest requests to God. Listen, if I have faith, I will keep praying. If I don't have faith, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to, I'm going to let it go. The fact that Paul reminds us to pray in this manner reveals two significant truths about God. First one is so amazing. The first one is that God wants to hear from you. Let that thought sink in for a moment. God wants to hear from you. On the basis of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been granted a, an all-access ticket into His presence. Hebrews 10, 19-22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way 
opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere faith in full assurance of faith, excuse me, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And he says in the same book, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God wants us to come. He wants us to ask. He wants us to, to communicate with him. He wants to hear from us. And I think there's, there's some real uh, practical reasons why God wants us to pray and why there are some things he won't do until we pray. And that is because if he just did what needed to be done without us, us asking, we would all take it for granted. We do it all the time. We take most of God's blessings in our life for granted. I'm just telling you we do. Even if you try not to, you do. Because he's the one that holds everything together. He's the one who keeps your heart beating. He's the one that keeps your lungs functioning. He's the one that keeps your brain functioning. And for some of us, it's not functioning the way it always has, but he's still making it work, right? And so how many of us, though, every heartbeat, do we, do we look to God and say, oh, God, I felt a heartbeat. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord. How many of us, when we wake up in the morning and take a breath and we, we yawn and take that big first breath, how many of us are saying, oh, you know what? I'm breathing because God let me breathe. No, we, we just tend to take things for granted. How many of you took for granted that the sun rose this morning? How many of you took for granted that the, that the sun set and the moon, I don't know if the moon's out tonight, uh, but, but we, we just take these things, these, these things for granted, but these are all things that are under the hand of God. He holds it all together. He makes it continue to work. And, and so he, knowing that we will take things for granted, we won't recognize the hand of God and we will take it for granted and not give him the glory he deserves if he were to just do what needed to be done without us being involved with prayer. But when we pray and he does it, then we're able to recognize the hand of God very clearly and give him glory. Second thing, not only does he want to hear from you, the second thing is this, if God expects that you will ask for things, then it follows that he has the ability to give you what you ask. In fact, according to, according to Ephesians 3.20, he has the ability to give you more than you ask. More than you can even think or imagine, he said. Think, think about your most pressing needs, your most formidable opponents, even your most out-of-reach dreams. If God desires that you bring those matters before him, then you can be sure that he has more than enough ability to do something about it. Now, I want to say this. That does not mean that he will give you everything you want. Uh, no, he's a good parent. There are many, many times we want things that are bad for us. If any, anybody here that's raised a child, you know that's true. Children want things that are not good for them. And so what do you do as a parent? You don't say, oh, well, you asked. I guess I'll give it to you. You know, if you had a child that said, mommy, I, I sure would like a drink of bleach. Oh, well, you asked. I guess I'll let you have it. No, you'd say, no, you knucklehead. 
<laughs> you can't have bleach. That's really bad for you. That's really bad for you. So it doesn't mean God's going to give you everything you want because there are times when we want things that are not good for us. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad things. But it means that they're not good for us. Right? Like, like for example, you know, maybe there are some of us in this room that if we had a lot of money, we would forget that we need God. And so God says, I'm not going to give you a lot of money because I want you to want me more. I want you to trust me and not your bank account. And, and, and so even if it's, you know, it's not a bad thing to have money. In fact, I think it's kind of a, generally a good thing. But to have great riches, may God may know that that's going to be something that will cloud your heart and pull you down. And so he's not going to give that to you. So he's not going to give you everything you want. You know, some people like to pull single verses out of context and say, God will always give you everything we pray for if we pray with enough faith. But, the, but that ignores the broader context of the Bible because the rest of the Bible, we're told that we're to pray and ask according to God's will. But what Paul is saying here is that we cannot give up on praying just because the answer, whether that answer is what we want or not, but just we cannot give up praying just because the answer doesn't come quickly. Faith shouldn't die if the answers come slowly because the delay may be God's way of working His will. And sometimes the delay is simply because it's something He wants you to have, but you're not ready for it yet. Right? Like when my youngest daughter was two and got mad in, when I was strapping her car seat because she wanted to drive. And I told her, no, she couldn't drive. And all of Reno was happy at the time. But it wasn't a forever no. It's that, no, you're, just, you're not ready for this. You can't handle this. So we don't give up. We don't quit. When you feel tired of praying, know that God is present, that He's always listening. He's always answering may not be the answer you want to hear, but he's always saying, yes, no, wait, you're not ready. But he's always answering, but he knows what's best for us. So we can just keep praying. The third thing he said, is give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, at first blush, this seems like a, a very unusual command. You know, given how tough life is, we might wonder how it would, could even be possible for a person to give thanks for everything. But when we read the verse carefully, we might be surprised to learn that Paul says that we are to give thanks in everything, not for everything. And there's a difference there. Evil will happen to believers. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that God has given every human being free will. And there are times when evil people, people who are far from God, will choose to use their free will to do things that will hurt you or hurt someone you love. Evil will happen from God, uh, happen and, and, and to believers. But that evil does not come from God. So we should not thank him for the evil thing that happens to us. The, the, this command is when we say, but we should thank him in the midst of all of that. Not for it, but in it. Th this command really speaks more about our perspective toward life than it does about our attitude toward our circumstances. 
again, this, this is all of these things. Uh, if you look at them, they're all very similar in that they're all, they're all things that we're, we're, we should do regardless of circumstances. We're to rejoice regardless of circumstances. We're to pray regardless of circumstances. And we're to give thanks regardless of circumstances. Um, to obey this command means that we have to keep the big picture in view. When, when evil strikes, believers can be thankful for God's presence and for the good that He will accomplish, accomplish through that distress. I said this actually during our meal beforehand. God never promised that we would not walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but he did promise we won't, we won't walk through it alone. So I don't have to thank him for the valley of the shadow of death, but I can thank him that he's with me even as I walk through that time. Paul had learned this in Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So, what we know then is that not only is his presence with us, but we also know that even when bad things happen and other people do things that are outside of God's will, God is going to turn that around and he's going to cause it to bring good into my life. Uh, this is the story of Joseph. A few weeks ago, we, we did a study on the life of Joseph. And one of the things that happened was Joseph told his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. It didn't mean that God caused Joseph to go through those things, but it meant that God allowed it to happen and he led him through those things. He was with him through all of those things. And in the end, God turned it around and brought good out of it. God uses difficult times to build our character and to strengthen our faith. It's like working out in a gym. Uh, you don't get stronger by taking it easy. You, you don't get stronger by being comfortable. And it's the same thing spiritually. You, we don't get stronger in our faith. Our character is not built when things are easy. It's when we're walking through the hard time and we're faced with a hard decision that our character is shaped. You know, when, when the, a, a simple, a, a, a really almost a silly example would be when the cashier gives you too much change and, and you're faced with the opportunity then to walk out, you know, and say, well, it was, it was their mistake. It's not on me. No, because you're faced with an opportunity there to say, am I going to do what's right or am I going to take this? Because if you know it doesn't belong to you and you walk out with it, you've stolen it. So this is an opportunity for me to have my character shaped more into the image of Christ by saying, excuse me, you, you gave me too much. This is not mine. And you do the right thing. That's shaping and building your character. And then the strength of our faith is built because every time we go through a hard thing, and, and, and you know, maybe this time, maybe if, uh, it wasn't that difficult, but God still helped you and saw you through. Then the next time when it's a little worse, you remember what God did in the past and it helps you strengthen your faith to say, if God saw me through that, then he's going to see me through this. That's exactly what David did when he was about to face Goliath. Because he went to talk to Saul and Saul said, you, you can't fight this giant. Look at you. You're a, you're a little kid. You, you tend sheep and he's, look, he's a giant fighting machine. You can't do this. But what did David say? David said, no, you don't understand, Saul. There's a time when a bear attacked the sheep 
and God gave me the strength to, to, to kill it. There's another time when a lion attacked the sheep and I went and through the strength of God, I, I pulled the jaws of that, of that lion open and snatched the lamb out and I grabbed hold of his mane and beat him to death. I didn't do that on my own, Saul. You got to understand that was the power of God working through me. And if God could do that for me with a lion and a bear, then he can do it for me when I'm facing this giant. That's how our faith is strengthened. As we fight those battles, he builds our strength and we grow in that. The, the focus of our lives must always be on God and not on our circumstances. And that's hard to do because our circumstances are constantly screaming for our attention. But we thank Him because we know He is faithful. Not because of the thorny circumstances. We don't, I don't thank Him because I find myself in the middle of a briar patch. I thank Him because I know somehow or another He's going to get me out of it. He's going to see me through. We thank Him because we know to whom we belong, no matter what happens on earth. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then you skip down a couple of verses to verse 37. And He answers resoundingly. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors, not on ourselves, but through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in John 10, verses 27 through 29, this is what Jesus said. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. He's saying to us right there, we are secure in Christ. We don't have to fear what any other power on earth whether we can see it, whether it's invisible or visible, whether it's on earth, whether it's natural, whether it's supernatural, it doesn't make any difference because none of those things can take Christ away from us or more importantly, can take us away from Christ. Learning to give thanks in everything means learning to trust God completely, knowing that He is in charge and understanding that, that all that happens is part of a larger picture that I may not see, and, and I may never see in this lifetime. When a believer can give thanks so willingly, he or she has trusted that God is, in, is completely in control of all situations, and He is working out His will. Only God could take the thousands of details of a person's life, some good and some bad, and, he, and weave them into the beautiful tapestry of His perfect, perfect plan. From the human perspective, many, many of life's occurrences, especially the painful ones, appear to have little or no intrinsic value. However, if we had God's perspective, we'd be able to view each of these things, details in a different way because no detail is insignificant and no detail is irrelevant. God's weaving it all together for His plan, for His glory. And He's using everything for our ultimate good and for His everlasting glory. Therefore, to give thanks in everything is to affirm our resolute belief that God is overseeing every detail of our lives.
Therefore, no matter what's happening, I can give him thanks because he's in control. And he closes it out by saying, this is God's will for you. Now, it's, he, that's, he's, that's referring to all three of those things, not just the last one. He, he's saying, this is, if you want to know, has anybody here ever wondered what God's will for your life is? Yeah, I think we all do. And, and I can't give you the answer for all the, uh, the smaller things, the details of life, but I can tell you very, in a, a very broad stroke right here, here is God's will for you. God's will for your life is regardless of circumstances, always be joyful, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what happens. That's what we, that's what we should do. That's how we should live. Always be praying, always be joyful, and, and always give thanks. You know, we often think of God's will in terms of what He wants us to do, Because that's what we think. God, what's your will? What do you want me to do? But you know what I think? I think God's will, God thinks of his will in terms of what he wants us to be. Because if he can get us who he wants us to be, then the doing part will pretty much take care of itself. He will lead you throughout your life, sometimes through, through rough waters, and everybody here, anybody here been through rough waters in your life? Yeah, we all have. He's going to lead you through every, every rough patch, every difficult time, every painful period. He will use you to do wonderful things for His glory. And, and no matter where He leads you or no matter what He has you do, His will is always, 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 to have an attitude of joy, to have an attitude of prayer, and to live with a grateful heart. That's His will for us. That's, those are His standing orders. Would you bow your head together with me, Father? As we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this encouragement. And Lord, there are so many times we, we think about your will and we think, I don't know. I don't know what I can do. I don't know if I can, if I can accomplish your will. And, and Lord, truthfully, and we can't in our own, on our own, but Lord, this is something we know that, that you've called us to do, you've empowered us to do. And so Lord, regardless of all the details of our lives, make us people who, who are constantly joyful, that we remember that circumstances don't matter. Those things are the appearance, but you are the reality. And we will have you, we will be with you. Help us to continually pray and not give up even when the answer is slow or even when the answer is not what we want to hear, but we will not give up. We'll keep praying. We'll keep seeking your face. And God, that we would live with a grateful heart, giving thanks to you that we know you, that we have a hope and that that you are working out your plan in our lives and that you will be glorified in everything. So therefore, we trust you and we can give thanks to you. We just pray, God, that you would just help us to live that way. Help us to grow in all of these things so that our lives would be a reflection of, of you to everyone around us. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.